Andrew Farwell from Outback Concerts. I'm here joined with uh, Chris Cobb, and we're going to be talking about the experience as a patron uh, of, of live entertainment in, in clubs and 1,500 cap rooms and uh, kind of where he came from and, and what the environment of what he's working on now has become and where we see it going. Um, Chris, thanks for joining. Uh, just to st- start off real quick, uh, talk a little bit about each one of your rooms, uh, the ones here in Nashville, Kansas City, Chattanooga. Uh, go for it. Sure. We, um, my, my company started uh, with Marathon Music Works. So we, we founded and opened Marathon Music Works in 2011, and that's our flagship property. It's 1,800 cap. It's all ages. It's just north of downtown Nashville in its eighth year. And we acquired Exit Inn. Um, actually, I acquired my stake in Exit Inn from my partner, um, Josh, uh, the following year. And I had been working at Exit Inn since 2004 with a, a brief uh, couple-of-year break um, somewhere in between. We expanded Marathon in 2012, and we expanded, uh, took the property next to Exit Inn in 2015, and then in 17, we opened the Truman in Kansas City, which Mm -hmm. is a 1,300 cap um, standing room club. And then early last year, uh, February of 18, we opened... The Signal in Chattanooga, 1500 cap club. Cool. Yeah. So you kind of found a model that works here in Nashville with Marathon Music Works, um, and you applied it to the Truman and the Signal. Speak a little bit about what was so successful here in Nashville that made you want to migrate to Kansas City and Chattanooga. Sure. Well, um, leaving the the Nashville effect, if you will, out of it. Sure. Uh, We've certainly been fortunate to be in such a burgeoning market that has grown so much, and um, that has to be mentioned. But with that being said, our industry has also grown um, quite a bit over the same last decade or so, and there's been a ton of growth in that that mid-sized level. Mm -hmm. So, fewer... Heritage Acts selling 15,000 tickets a night yep. and um, more smaller acts and um, more people who want to spend their money on experiences as opposed to things. Sure. And so, um, you know, we found ourselves right in the middle of all that here in Nashville with Marathon and um, recognized that demand and opportunity in Kansas City first and then Chattanooga right after that. Sure. So you've referred to yourself as being a cog in the wheel of the national music scene. Uh, how have you built that rep- reputation, both personally and within your venues, professionally? Uh, that's hilarious. I read that question, and I do remember saying that. I don't know why I said it. Um, <laughs> it's applicable. I love it. I, I believe it, but I, I don't know how to... Uh, what was the question exactly? Basically, uh, how you be able to build that reputation, both professionally and... Uh, and and from your venue standpoint, how do you build the reputation of being a cog? Um. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, if you if you, you're part of of growing an act, uh, you <clears throat> have the advantage here of exit in where it's a smaller cap room. You can graduate into marathon, and then you know, sky's the limit from there. Talking about growing into 
live on the green and, and kind of the, the festival space. Sure. Talk about the, the growth of that and, and how you're able to see some acts grow up. Sure. I think I should start using the ecosystem metaphor as opposed to the wheel and cog. <laughs> wheel and cog. Um, but um, you, your, your reputation is going to be built on your past actions. Sure. Um, just like anywhere else. And it's been said time and time again, it's a small industry, it's a small sure. group of folks, and, and you've got to... You've got to do what you say you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I've tried to do that in every way that I can for a number of years, and it takes time. And, and um, it's, that, it's been you know, that simple and that hard all at the same time of, of um, trying to create a good experience and trying to, pe- put, uh, trying to put artists and people in the right places at the right time. And um, and do everything you can to make that experience good for all parties involved, and hopefully doing that over and over and over again. Sure. Speaking a little bit about your experience with Live on the Green, uh, for those who aren't familiar, it's the free festival downtown here in Nashville. Uh, we're going to year eight. What what year is it? Eleven. Eleven. Okay. Year 11. Wow. Geez. All right. Yeah. Time flies. It does. Talk a little bit about your experience uh, growing that festival into what it's become, keeping it a free festival, and and what it means for you as a talent buyer. Oh man, well it's been a lot of fun. That Live on the Green is owned and operated by Lightning One Hundred, and I am the only I am the only uh, third party involved in Live on the Green from a producer standpoint. Um, so I am a third party that has been there since the beginning, twelve years ago. Yep and was asked to help make the thing become a reality. And I told those guys and gals over at Lightning 100 that it would never work. And I'm so glad that I was wrong. You proved yourself wrong. (laughs) We all proved me wrong. And I'm I'm very happy to be sitting on this side of uh, that equation today, 12 years later. Um, That is a challenging model to make work, the free model. Uh, festival business is as challenging as anything else. Add free to it, and all of a sudden it gets a whole lot harder. Um, we're fortunate to be able to have a beautiful space in the heart of downtown. Uh, that's a huge part of that event. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, this, the the ability of the radio station to act as an owner of an event has afforded us a ton of opportunities that a lot of events don't have. Sure. So the power of the airwaves, um, the power of the radio station behind the event is, uh, is really the one aspect that I think sets Live on the Green apart from other similar events that's allowed it to uh, not only be successful, but really thrive and be a massive success for the city, uh, for the artists who, who play at it every year. Absolutely. I mean, it's incredible watching it grow from a weekly event for, for a set period of time to growing into the weekly event capped off with a, a festival at the end, with a multi-day festival, and just even talking about the caliber of talent that you're able to draw. What what led you to be able to grow into that space and, and achieve the level of success that you've seen? Sure, it's, it's a good question. Uh, the, the growth was organic. The first show did 1,100 people. Yep. And I remember that. We were out there in the rain, 
and all thinking to ourselves, what in the hell have we done? <laughs> and uh, we were able to sustain, but grow, truly grow the thing organically and um, be risk averse when we needed to and cost conscious and, and grow the event from the bottom up, grow a foundation uh, of fans, sure. of supporters who wanted to come out to that event every week. And at the same time, as attendance grew, uh, we were able to therefore fund uh, larger artists to perform. And it's just been a slow burn year after year. You know, now we do about 15,000 people a week, um, which is a huge it's incredible. event. Yeah, it's great. That's incredible. And I mean, it, it kind of makes sense standing here and looking back. Well, of course, you grew every year and it became what it is. But I mean, as you said, 12 years ago, never saw this as, as a possibility growing into what it's become. I mean, it's, it's, it's really incredible. Yeah, it's fun. And most, most people who attend it now don't, weren't here 12 years ago, too. Right. So there's right. that whole factor, which is interesting. But. No, of course. Uh, Talking a little bit about how long you've been in a market, specifically, say, Nashville. We'll start with Nashville. The length of time you've been here uh, and see a city grow, how has that affected and helped you grown as a talent buyer and, and know the demographic of the city you're in a little bit more? Sure. Well, I think things be can become... Um, intrinsic. Sure. So you, you start to feel it um, as much as look at data or, you know, whatever other metrics or facts you can find, you start to grow an innate understanding um, through, you know, years of uh, mistakes yeah. or successes or whatever they yeah. may be. And, uh, and that's natural in anything, but... Um, I think you know a big part is is just knowing when to not force things. Sure. You know, and starting to say, well, that's probably not going to work, or that would work better here, or that would work better then instead of now, and uh, being able to be okay with that. Sure. And truly, it's it's been here. It's been inspiring hearing you say something like that, and then seeing what has become of Marathon, what has become of Live on the Green. And you talk about intrinsic and, and growing these ideas into different markets. Uh, and, and kind of talk a little bit about what you've done to cultivate success in new markets where you might not be as regionally knowledgeable, Kansas City, Chattanooga. Like, what have you done to ensure some level of success? Sure. I, you know, I think that... Um for us, the the local aspect of it is critical. Yes, and we believe that the the venues that that we own and operate uh, are have to be an asset to the community. Mm -hmm. They have to be. If they're not an asset, they're not going to last. Yep. The community's got to want them there and appreciate their existence. And and uh, throughout history, when that shifts, um, things go away. And so um, that is part of our mission. It's really the core of our mission statement as a company sure. is to be a community asset. And uh, as long as we follow that mission, we're okay. And first step is finding the right local person yep. um, to be in charge, to run the building, run the facility, be the face, be the outreach, be the contact with the community. Sure. And then you can start that um, that symbiotic relationship of venue and city or venue and market in place where uh, it is that ecosystem or where it becomes that cog in the wheel, uh, if you will. Sure. And 
without the cog, the wheel can't turn. So um, I think that's the the biggest key is is make sure you're an asset to your community, and then make sure you have the right person in place that wants to be that asset. Definitely, and I feel like you guys made two good choices there. Thanks. To where you would be growing uh, this this brand really, um, and you've taken the model here at Marathon and, and pl- applied it there. Can you talk a little bit about the experience of going to some of these venues? You've you've mentioned food is a big aspect, the the different kind of beers that aren't normally available to. You know, other venues. Uh, you're going to go, and it's a different experience. Talk a little bit about what made you build that patron experience, and why it's so important. Sure. Well, uh, unhappy patrons equal unhappy business, but um, it's fun. You know, you talk to restaurateurs um, or hotel operators, people in other uh, parts of the hospitality industry, sure. and. Um, you always hear, you know, consistency and consistency, and and uh, which is critical. But one of the fun uh, challenges and opportunities that we have in our business, as you know, is it's a different crowd every night, right? Yeah. Different demographic, a different group of people. So yep. we may have, you know, fifteen hundred metal fans up against fifteen hundred acid jazz fans up against a wedding reception up against church sure you know um, which three of our venues host every week and so that's fun and exciting and uh, and keeps it different uh, you know which which keeps it fun so for us we we sat back after a few years of marathon and said how do we better serve all these people. Yeah. We have this wide variety of folks who are coming through and not everybody wants to stand on the concrete all night. Of course. Some people do. Some kids are going to wait in line starting at 10 a.m. and get in and run to the stage and stand there and then run out and buy a couple waters and maybe a t-shirt. Yep. Um, some folks want to sit at a table and have some tacos and a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Some folks want a private bathroom and want to be able to sit and have a raised platform to sit from. Some folks want to be able to sit at a bar and get a $15 glass of scotch in a real glass, at a, in a real stool, in a nice room. So um, so we you know, had the opportunity here to expand um, physically and take over some more square footage in the building, and that caused us to sit back and say, okay, well, let's take this now and figure out how do we better serve everybody. So, um, so we, you know, we did, we attempted to do that and we added those things that I just mentioned. And we also expanded the backstage and added amenities back there, more dressing rooms, more bathrooms, better production offices, better laundry facility, um, better catering area for improved experiences all the way around. Sure. Um, one of the things you talked about is is growing and evolving, something that not every business model can take advantage of, but it seems like you guys have. Talking about the growing and the improvements that you've made, talking about front of house, um, patron experience, expanded bar space, pre-show hangs, things like that. What have you done to grow in that aspect, and which capital improvements have had the highest ROI? Oh, that's a good question. Um, uh, points of sale and bathrooms. Mm. Great point. That's it. Keeps it going. 
Points of sale in bathrooms. Talk about a symbiotic relationship. Very much so, yeah. <laughs> straight on through. Um, I mean, that's that's your ROI right there. Yeah. Or at least that's the one that's easily trackable. You know, and the fun thing about what we do is, is a lot of it um, you don't have exact metrics on. Right. You can't exactly track A to B or 1 plus 1 equaling 2. That one you can. Um, but I believe all the other things, they add up over time. Sure. Um and you know, being able to present a more full product, give people more of what they want, the ability to sit, the ability to stand, the ability to eat, the ability to drink this or that, um, the ability to get in a little bit earlier out of whatever elements may be happening. Um, you know, those collectively over time, um, I think that creates a sense in people that they enjoy your place. And they probably aren't going to be able to pinpoint exactly why, and they probably aren't going to say, oh, well, because I was able to get in an hour earlier or get this grilled cheese or sit over here or stand over there. You know, that, 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 they're probably not analyzing it as deeply as we do. Of course. Um, but I, I do believe that, that those types of measures will pay dividends in the long run. Well, and you also alluded to the fact that you've grown the backstage, and the backstage experience is, is kind of unmatched in that size room, which I think is really unique and sets you guys apart from a lot of similar comp venues. Uh, talk a little bit about what you've done to expand the backstage and what amenities you've improved and, and what made you do that. Sure. Um, well, like Shaq said, it's not rocket science, but people want to feel good and um, yep. especially coming off the road any little piece of home that you can give people who are living away from home away from all the creature comforts that most of us take advantage day to day um, all of the creature comforts that most of us take for granted day to day any of those things you can give folks make make them feel better and it makes their experience that much more enjoyable. Sure. Um, small stuff, you know, bigger, nicer rooms, more rooms. Uh, we have two bands, three bands a night, the ability for them to spread out, yep. the ability for them to have their own private spaces, the ability for the production manager to have an office, um, extra bathroom, shower, extra bathroom facilities, laundry facilities, all those things that sometimes go overlooked in venues or that most of us who live at home on a daily basis take for granted sure when you're coming in off the bus you don't take that stuff for granted and uh and that's important and that word spreads in that community over time oh that place is a great experience backstage i want to be there and uh and that matters that matters i mean that ties back to everything you said about reputation and what you've built um and and people really do take for granted this is their home on the road and so that you guys were able to identify that, but also do something about it, but also do something that worked, I think is really impressive. Um, talking a little bit more boring kind of stuff, I love how you were able to nail down, it was points of sale and bathrooms. Talk about other amenities as simple as location, logistics, parking. What goes into a positive experience for both the artist and the patron? Mm, well... I mean, parking's tough, right? Everywhere uh, anymore. Um, you just try to make things as easy as you can. 
Yeah. You know, um, and sometimes you can make them easier than others. Uh, we're fortunate to have really great load-in facilities yes. everywhere other than exit in, which sucks. <laughs> hey, um, it's a nice door. <laughs> yeah, sure. At the bottom of a concrete ramp. Um you know, but accidents, it's been there 48 years, and yes. uh, some things you can't change uh, for certain reasons, namely codes. Yes. Uh, but the other buildings have great easy load-ins, either docks or roll-up doors that roll straight to the quick flat push to the stage. And, and um, it seems like a no-brainer, but a lot of times that goes missed, sure. right? And a lot of times that's more challenging, and it adds more cost, and... So paying attention to the ability to get in and out of the building easy for tours, for um, rental companies, for caterers, uh, all that stuff, I think, is it's immensely important, and we've paid attention to that. Um, parking sucks. I don't know what to tell you about parking. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, we've been able to partner with Rideshare, uh, which has been super helpful. Um, we don't have as many parking problems as we used to because not as many people drive their cars. And so that's been really helpful to have uh, pick up and drop off for Uber and Lyft, which of course, you know, are experiencing their own problems uh, at the moment. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see where it all goes, but it's not going to go away. So um, it'll get evened out. But, but yeah, I mean, you got to think about that stuff. You know, you've got you've to provide parking. And if you can't provide adequate parking, then come up with alternative solutions. Um, we had a, uh, a presentation in a class that I teach at Belmont this morning where this group of students were studying Bridgestone Arena, and one of the things that they were tasked with was parking, and they pointed out that there's a $3 shuttle from, uh, from the stadium um, for many Bridgestone events. And, you know, there you go. Uh, got to solve it somehow. Yeah, you can't grow parking, so exactly as you said, it's alternative solutions. Yep. Um, talking industry consolidation. Mm, uh, oh boy. It's been one of the foremost topics in the live entertainment business, and you know, I could speak from being an independent. We, we're seeing it far too much. There, there are just fewer and fewer independents. Um, you partnered with AC um, in Chattanooga, uh, AG in Kansas City. Uh, what made you want to continue as an independent and in keeping an open room here in Nashville? Oh, man. Well, uh, I guess it's just my spirit. Um, I mean, uh, it kind of goes with it because of what you've done with, with your work with Live on the Green. I mean, Lighting 100, independent. I mean, it's just, is it, it's just something that you're drawn to? Well, I guess that's a uh, personal choice, I suppose. Um, sure. If you're talking about making a choice between independent or not, um, from my perspective, I don't know why you would not be independent if you could be independent. Sure. Um, it's nice to be able to make your own decisions and control your own destiny uh, as opposed to um, somebody else's, right? Of course. Um, so been super fortunate to be in a position to do that for 10 years now. Um, um, oof. It's... Uh, Mm, that's a fun one. What, what else? What, I, I, where else do you want to go there? Honestly, I, I think that's a great <laughs> answer because a lot of the questions are, you know, why remain independent? If everybody's being bought up, why remain independent? And you kind of nailed it right there. It's freedom to make decisions. 
It's it's a pride, a sense of pride within what you built in the community, and I, I think that's incredibly admirable. I really do. Well, thanks. You know, I, um, let's go a little deeper. If we keep, we got a minute. Sure. Um, monopolies are bad for business. Eventually. Yeah. Um, I got into this because of music, not because of profit margins, <laughs> yeah, or politics, or shareholders, or um, even pride. Uh, you know, I got into it because of a love of music, and I started as a fan, and then found myself, you know, working in it. And uh, the changes that I see, a lot of the changes that I see, they're they're not all bad. There's some good things that come from consolidation, for sure. Um, i got a lot of friends who've made a lot of money. You know, good for them. They deserve it. Um, but a lot of the changes are bad for the for the artists, and they're bad for the fans. Sure. And uh, eventually that will correct. Um, and, you know, you gotta, you got to play the game that, that, you're, that, you're, that you're in. Um, for certain, but we've been able to remain uh, on some levels uh, independent. Um, we are partnered with some of the big boys sure. uh, as um, talent buyers. Mm -hmm. We're not partnered with them in our business. They don't own any percentage of anything that we do, and therefore um, we're able to keep our independence and make our own decisions, yet um, yet work with them, which you have to sure. in this day and age. And so we like that situation currently. It's, it's not easy. It is a fight almost every day yep. uh, at this point. But, you know, for, um, for better or worse in the long run, I believe in the health of the business as a whole, and I believe in bands, and I believe that fans should have access to shows at a reasonable price. And... I hate seeing people get priced out of their favorite show, and I don't think the artists want that either. Um, so we've tried to stay independent uh, because we're in opposition to those kinds of trends that I see as part of the consolidation. Absolutely. And one of the things you talked about was freedom to make decisions. Um, thing, you know, Assessing risk and making calculated decisions based on data. Is there ever a time where you just go with your gut? Every day. Yeah, my partner hates it, but yeah. <laughs> How has that differed or, or changed and evolved with you in this industry? Have you always been like that? Have you always gone with your gut? or uh, 100%. Yeah. Always, end of the day. That's what it goes to. Well, a couple times I haven't, and then in hindsight, it was a huge mistake. Yep. Um, yeah, all the time. How's it changed? My gut is slower now. Okay. That's how it's changed. Okay. I don't move as quickly. Um, I like to take a little more time than I used to, but at the end of the day, it's it's I it's it's right or wrong, and you got to go with the gut. Is there an actor too that you take some pride in where you went with your gut and they've grown into something more than you know what you ever expected, or is there someone you have your eye on now? Oh gosh. I love this band, Lost Dog Street Band. Okay. Have you checked them out? I haven't. No. Okay, everybody check out Lost Dog Street Band. Great, independent little band who's kicking a bunch of ass. Love it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I always go with my gut, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I mean, that's that's why we wake <laughs> up in the morning. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. That's for sure. I mean, as far as, you know, specific bands and shows, I, I don't, you know, some... 
Some you win in the long run, some you lose. Yeah. Um, talk about a little bit going from competition in a market. Uh, you know, other venues popping up here and there, other similar capacities, things like that. What do you do to set yourself apart from others? We've talked about reputation. We've talked about artist experience. But at the end of the day, sometimes it comes down to money. But what what have you experienced? What do you what do you do to set your yourself apart from other venues? Oh my goodness. Well. Um, yeah, that's that's a challenging subject matter for sure. Um, oh, to some extent, you got to keep your head down and do your thing. But sure. you're, you're right; you better know what your thing is. And um, we did some discovery recently uh, around our business and um, went through the process of you know reimagining uh, the mission statement that I mentioned earlier and designing yep. a vision statement for the future. Yep. And uh, it was a great process, and uh, you know it was something that we didn't do um, ten years ago. We did the uh, uh, fly by the seat of your pants, go with the gut. We're going to do this, and it's going to be great. And you know it just happened to be. Um, but it's uh, much bigger, and things have changed a lot. Uh, and you can't necessarily run a business with 126 people on payroll. Sure. Um, flying by the seat of your pants. Sure. So we've been doing as many of the right things as we can over the last few years to, to you know, do everything that we're supposed to be doing. And one of the fun processes we went through there was uh, identifying, you know, just that. What are the aspects of what we do that are different and better from that of our, uh, our competition? And... Um, the one that we came to for us is 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 being unique, is being able to have spaces that can create a unique experience for people. Sure. And that really is when you look at our four venues, what sets us apart from the competition um, nationwide. You know, we're not cookie cutter. We don't have an overarching brand that drops into city after city where they all look the same, where the menus are the same. Everything's different. Everything's got its own building, A, um, that's pre-existing that we were able to rehabilitate, which gives it that love and character and warmth that you just can't get out of new construction. And then we're able to come in and create a local brand that's that's built out of the community and then present food and beverage menus that are localized. Again, all going back to that local person at the helm running the business on the local level. Sure, absolutely. And um, so... You know, that's what we focus on is being unique. And uh, the crazy thing is for me that, you know, now looking back, uh, it seems like that should have been obvious, but it really wasn't for us. We had these unique things and we were successful, but, you know, it was uh, let's beat our heads against the wall to figure out how to be the best sounding room in town. Well, um, you may not be able to do that. (laughs) It's true. It's true. And everything can be improved. And, uh, there's no reason not to improve things that could be improved, but identifying the one thing that you can do different or better than everybody else and then focusing on that is critical. Awesome. Well, special thanks to Chris Cobb for stopping by, uh, talking a little bit about the landscape of, of the cities that you're in with your venues, and, and really appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks, Andrew. Thanks. All right.